Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. We are hitting the road on Friday. It's the first Fish Fry Friday for the Mark Reardon Show. We have a live Reardon Roundtable. Sue's going to do Sue's News in person. Incarnate Word Parish in Chesterfield, 3 to 6. Friday afternoon. It's going to be amazing. And we hope to see that. We had a lot of fun last year doing these. We met yeah, a lot of did. listeners. Um, the Hall of Famer, Fred Bottomer, will be there. So we're very excited about that. So join us on Friday. We don't have the list of fish fries complete right now. And I've explained this before. It's a pay-to-play, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to... <laughs> no, no I'm kidding. Not. But Trisha's working behind the scenes. That makes me so nervous. On doing that. Uh, what? Me yeah, uh, trying to solicit to bribes? Yeah. Eh, you know, it happens from time to time. Okay. Th- this is... you know, I, uh, Let me set this up a little bit. I'm going to welcome Joel Kotkin into the conversation here because we thought of him when I was pitching this particular topic. He's a presidential fellow in Urban Futures at Chapman University, the executive director of the Urban Reform Institute. So he's an expert in cities and things that are happening in American cities in particular. Joel, how are you this afternoon? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Well, let me let me get your response to this. So uh, Tucker Carlson is getting a little grief because I, I guess he said that Moscow is nicer than any city in his country. And um, then he said this to someone that was interviewing him because he was talking about people having, you know, pretty, I think even sadness is a word that I would use about the decline of their own cities. I mean, St. Louis might be included here. Here's what he said. How did that happen? How did that happen? And at a certain point, I don't think the average person cares as much about abstractions as about the concrete reality of his life. And if you can't use your subway, for example, as many people are afraid to in New York City because it's too dangerous, you have to sort of wonder, like, isn't that the ultimate measure of leadership? And that's true. By the way, it's radicalizing for an American to go to Moscow. I didn't know that. I've learned it this week. To Singapore, to Tokyo, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live. That don't have rampant inflation, where you're not going to get raped. Sir, and excuse so, me. What is that? Well, he got cut off there, Joel. But look, he, he makes okay. a good point. And here's what I, I wanted to frame it around one other thing. Because the day before I heard that soundbite, I oh. was having breakfast with my niece, who's living temporarily in Seattle. And we were asking her about, she's doing an internship up there, actually, with the Seattle Sounders. I said, hey, how's Seattle? She said, it's awful. I, I can't get to work without taking my car because it's not safe. There's homeless encampments. The subway's not safe. So that really resonated when I heard the Tucker Carlson. But look, you're an expert on this. You've written about this. In particular, what's happened to San Francisco and L.A. and some of these cities on the West Coast, right, Joel? Yeah, I mean, it. it you know, it is tragic and, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, I can't talk to Moscow now because the Moscow subway has always been a, 
you know, what, you know, one of the more amazing uh, transportation systems in the world. And, you know, for, you know, that, and that goes back to Stalin's time. So, uh, you know, not going to emb- embrace that politics, but it was effective. But the, the bottom line is this. We have allowed our cities to essentially deteriorate and to really become de- uh, dominated by a small, you know, relatively small, very well-organized groups, public employee unions, non, you know, uh, you know, left-wing, if you want to call that, nonprofits, um, uh, it, um, you know, sometimes uh, groups that are, you know, sort of, ra- you know, sort of racial redress organizations, you know, uh, sort of, sort of like ethnic warlords, and they have basically slowly strangled our cities. I mean. Given that America has, you know, for whatever its problems, a one of the strongest economies in the world, and is obviously the biggest economy in the world, this shouldn't be the case. Our cities should be, if nothing else, emblems of the success of this civilization. And instead, what's happened is American civilizations moved to the suburbs and exurbs, and in, and in some cases, some smaller cities, because our big cities and our and the cities, frankly, that have the most going for them. When I hear friends in Seattle and Denver, for instance, which were seen even three, four, five years ago as, oh, well, San Francisco's in trouble, but Seattle's great, Denver's great, they all have the same yep, thing. They do. I mean, what what you guys have experienced, if you don't mind my saying so, in the Rust Belt for the last 50 years has now caught up to the cities that were sort of the glamorous uh, centers, not just, you know, New York, but but certainly uh, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, and, of course, you know, the city that I spent most of my life in, Los Angeles. Well, you know, it's interesting timing here because, as you may or may not know, in the L.A. Times just this morning, the uh, column by Noah Bierman, half of Republicans say California isn't really American. But more than that, actually, you know what? I think that they changed the headline on that, which is interesting because they the original headline, yeah, isn't that funny how they do that in the legacy media? The original headline really addressed the, the issue of how many people think that they should move out of California. But the numbers are kind of staggering here. So I guess my question for you is, don't the people, don't the you know, Tucker Carlson talked about leadership. These are American mayors that feel like they have to virtue signal and do things for the, um, you know, the very vocal minority and not the people that are paying taxes in their cities. And that's evident here in St. Louis, even, Joel. Well, look, my basic point is whether wherever you are, a city leader should recognize that the citizens are his customers. And if the customers aren't happy, they're going to go somewhere else or they're going to put their investment somewhere else, or they're going to send their kids to something that is not connected to the city. I mean, you can barely find an education system in any urban area in America that is decent. Occasionally, you'll, you'll have one school that's good, and maybe if you're in a nice neighborhood, the local um, uh, elementary school might be okay. But there's almost no um, comparison to like my parents, um, my, my mother grew up in the slums, Brownsville. I won't use her language uh, because you're, you won't like it. But she basically said it was crappy then, it's crappy now. But you know what? She went to Erasmus High School, got a decent education, became a registered nurse. That path is being taken away for today's working class kids. I mean, I'm just working right now on a study of 
Lat- uh, Latinos uh, in California um, who are, you know, uh, 50% of the students, 40% of the state population. Those kids are, for the most part, going to incredibly substandard schools. What do they think these kids are going to do when they get out of high school? Even if they they manage to get through it, they don't know anything. I can tell you that fundamentally we are failing um, our our young people and particularly our minority young people. And that's the great irony, what? though, isn't it? Because you're, you're absolutely right about that. And it, it seems to me like these mayors in, you know, you wrote about this last year, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco. They apparently don't care about the people that are paying taxes and that use their parks and their services. You're seeing a lot of pushback in Chicago and New York on this right now. I wonder if it's happening out west as much. Well, it is. I mean, now in San Francisco, um, my, you know, I'm just finishing up a little piece on San Francisco. And my friends there say that Mayor Breed has actually tried to reform things, but it's the Board of Supervisors. You know, if you take a look at, at New York City, I mean, I know Mayor Adams has his problems, but you know, it's really the city council that makes it impossible yeah. to get any real reforms. I mean, the what whatever has happened, the political system in our cities has deteriorated and is now fairly much under the, the influence of very well-organized groups, particularly public employees. And part of the scary part, and I've, I have an article that's coming out on that next week, the teachers' unions have become increasingly left, increasingly dominated by ideology. And there seems to be um, no way to turn that around. So what happens is people vote with their feet. And by the way, you know, they'll say, oh, it's white flight. 96% of the growth in the last decade in suburbia were people of color. I mean, you go out to the, to the suburbs. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time in the suburbs of Houston, the suburbs here. And they're filled with people who are, you know, Hispanic, Asian, African-American. If they can get out, they get out. They, the, the city no longer provides any kind of person who's got aspirations, particularly for their children. It doesn't provide that opportunity, which it did for my grandparents and, and my parents who came to New York, in their case, you know, essentially with nothing. It's it's really sad. And and I don't know where this is all taking us. And I, I don't see I don't see people I don't see the messaging from the people that are upset resonating with the so-called leaders across the country. So I'd say it's kind of a mess, Joel. But listen, I always appreciate you coming on here in St. Louis on ninety seven one and you have a great week. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I wanna I wanna highlight something else from San Francisco just because it, it plays well with this particular topic. And I guess I would ask the question this way. Imagine if somebody at Washington University or St. Louis University or the University of Missouri, a speaker or professor, uh, came up there and they wanted to do a lecture and they called black people psychopaths, right, and that they were responsible for rape culture because that's exactly what happened at the University of California, San Francisco, in the other direction, right? Dante King is this author who comes to the University of San Francisco, University of California, San Francisco. It's Black History Month, right? And he, (laughs) I so wish I was making this up. I really do. He gave a lecture that was titled Diagnosing Whiteness and Anti-Blackness, White Psychopathology, Collective Psychosis, and Trauma in America. This is what academia has turned into. Whites are psychopaths. And their behavior represents an underlying biologically transmitted proclivity 
with roots deep in their evolutionary history. How can how many of you could see the proclivity that evolved yeah. deep within the evolutionary history of whiteness by show of hands? How many of you could see it? Some people are sitting here. Oh, no, I don't want to raise my hand. That's called denial. Yeah, that's denial, according to Dante. So then he just, you know, tears into and I'm I'm hurt, though, because I'm a white supremacist. And I'm not seeking agreement from white people at all. I don't prioritize whiteness or white people in my work in that way. So turn to your neighbor and say, as much as we want to talk about how bad he wants them to repeat the mantra this is it is the foundation of all american all white american institutions yeah so everything's racist i mean if you're white if you have any whiteness about you you're just evil according to this guy he then get to Ron DeSantis. He says, in Florida, we're taking a stand against the state-sanctioned racism that is critical race theory. We won't allow Florida tax dollars to be spent teaching kids to hate our country or hate each other, only to hate Black people. We will invest dollars in that. I think whites are psychopathic. I think there are many lies. The level of lying that white people do that has started since colonialism, we're just used to it. Teenagers, young people mm -hmm. that are going out and committing purses, okay. uh, uh, home invasions, and hitting people, women over the head with purses, uh, uh, objects, and stealing their purses. I want you to just say that's just human nature. Okay, so did you hear that last part there? Oh. He's basically, this guy's giving a lecture at the University of California, San Francisco. That is a taxpayer funded that, university. They invite him on campus during Black History Month. Sue, just for a moment, and I'm sure everyone listening right now is doing this, juxtapose yeah. that with that evil white supremacist Riley Gaines who comes on campus to simply say, hey, what about young women and young girls in America who don't have penises and want to compete in sports? Yep. And she's, you know, dragged off into a corner and has to run from protesters because she's deemed a turf and evil and bigoted and all this other stuff. And this guy gets an open invitation to spread a bunch of this nonsense. And if, some, if you're sitting here, you're going, wow, he sounds really pro-black. I am. I am. And for all you white people who are unwilling to admit that, admit that you're pro-white, you're just not saying it. What would you say for folks who may say that hey. your work is considered to be reverse racism? Yeah. I don't make room for that. Yeah, he doesn't make room oh, for that. Um, I'm just going to raise my hand. It's true. I'm comfortable. I'm pro-white. So there you go. Oh, Put me gosh. on the record. That guy, unbelievable. And again... Who covers that? It barely gets any coverage. You wouldn't hear that anywhere else. They're not going to put that on NBC Nightly News or CBS Nightly News say, look what's happening at American universities. Nope, none of that. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, welcome back. 527. We have Matt Pauly down in Jupiter. We're going to talk just a little bit of baseball before the end of the hour as pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. Uh, Matt Pauly will give us an update coming up here in just a little bit. And then I have audio cut of the day. So this is a story here that we've been following for quite some time. And I'm certainly interested in it because I think it's important. It has some you know, implications, I think, beyond what's at play in a courtroom tomorrow. Mark Milton is here, managing attorney of the Milton Law Group. He represents a bunch of non-residents, like non-City of St. Louis residents, challenging the city's refusal to issue refunds for the telework that they did during days that the pandemic were taking place and beyond. So they couldn't come downtown. So then are they paying the uh, earnings tax? Well, they shouldn't be. Mark's been involved in this from the beginning. He's with us with an update this afternoon. Mr. Milton, how are you on this uh, Tuesday? Great, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with the Hall of Famer, Fred Bottomer, as well. Absolutely. And he appreciates that (laughs) shout out. So last time we spoke with you back in the fall, you were about to go to court on this. And I think a couple of days later, you let us know that this thing had been sort of deferred and delayed until tomorrow. So is this going to happen tomorrow? It is. As far as I know, we have a hearing tomorrow before the Missouri uh, Court of Appeals, the Eastern District. And the purpose is actually a cross appeal. So we are appealing the early dismissal of class action status for the lawsuit. The city is appealing uh, the issue on the merits of our, our non-resident taxpayers required to pay the earnings tax for teleworking days. And Judge Sangheiser, a city court judge, ruled definitively that, no, they are not. The statute explicitly says you can only be taxed for days you work in the city. That's how the collector has always interpreted the statute. And so, you know, we feel like that case is very strong still, um, and that will have, you know, long-term impacts going forward on, on non-residents, teleworkers' ability to get refunds. But, Mark, just to be clear on that, the judge ruled in your favor, then the city appeals, and this is going before an appellate court, right? Correct. Yeah. So, yes, that's exactly right. Yes. And then so uh, explain a little bit of the class action status questions, because that always kind of, you know, is a little confusing to some people. Sure. So my co-counsel and I, Beavis Shock, have always maintained this is much bigger than a, a tax refund case. This is a case of government overreach, cost, constitutional violations, where you have a government official who took a, made a decision during COVID 
to stop issuing refunds to people out of a fear of lost revenue. There was no basis in the law for that decision. It was just a executive official saying, we're not going to follow the law. We're going to stop issuing these refunds. And that's where we think we're entitled to class action, because in a normal tax refund case, they won't give you class action because they say every taxpayer has to file a lawsuit. Well, here you're talking potentially tens of thousands of people filing individual lawsuits to get a few hundred dollars back. That doesn't make sense. That's why we have class action rules in the state of Missouri. So along those lines, if if that is will that let me let me back up just a little bit on on these questions. Is that something usually you're going to make the arguments and then you have to wait a little bit for the answers that that would be the case in this circumstance as well? Yeah, so we'll have the hearing tomorrow. We'll probably get a pretty good idea of where the court is leaning on the class action issue um, based on, you know, the the court. It's a panel of three judges. They can ask questions um, of both sides uh, about, you know, we've briefed this. I mean, there's been, you know, hundreds of pages of briefing done throughout this case. There's a huge case file. So, I mean, they'll be prepared. They'll have read the briefs. So it's really an opportunity for the judges to ask questions. And then would you expect a decision within days, weeks, or months? I would say probably, hopefully weeks, more, more likely months, and that's another frustrating aspect of this. You know, this is, this is three years now we've been litigating this, and I think that was part of the city's strategy was we know we're going to lose, right, but we're going to do our best to mitigate the damages, and that's not the way the government should behave. Like you talked in your earlier segment, um, you know, people will just leave. People, employers, that their, their people are being treated like this, they're just going to leave. And so we've maintained from the beginning, it's almost like, you know, the courts have to almost save the city from itself with this policy because it's just, it's enacting real harm on, on not only the non-residents, but the city itself. Is the website still active where people can go on and, and look and, and maybe make an application for some of this as well, Mark? Yeah, so we have a website we set up early. It's called stlrefund.com. And the idea there was we created a protest form so that people who felt like they were owed teleworking days would have a form they could use because the collector changed the form to state explicitly you cannot seek refunds of teleworking days. And again, that was part of our constitutional argument was you're, you're doing this to thwart, you know, otherwise unlawful, you know, uh, excuse me, otherwise lawful refund claims by telling people they can't apply for it. So, you know, it's not perfect and we certainly don't represent anyone right now beyond our individual plaintiffs. Our hope is if we're given class action at that point, you know, anybody who has submitted a claim will be able to, you know, hopefully recover. And people are always free to, you know, bring their own lawsuit. But again, the practical realities of that are just, you know, they're not going to do that for a few hundred right. bucks. No, exactly. All right. Listen, I always appreciate the updates on this. I think we may have you set up for some uh, information post arguments tomorrow. So if we can execute that, that would be awesome. And good luck in court tomorrow. All right. Thank you all very all right, much. Take care. That's Mark it. Milton giving us an update on that tax case, which I, I would anticipate that they're going to win. So we'll see where that kind of takes us with like refunds. It. Yeah, that's good. Does so, not help me. But I'm like, OK. <laughs> well, because you live in the city. Yeah. And so it, city it, and... it makes I don't know how they got away with it for this long anyway. Yeah, they're just trying to run out the clock. Yeah. Um, a couple of things that I wanted to comment on before Mr. Pauly checks in. We're going to go down to Jupiter, Florida. This Ooh. is really my favorite story of the day. 
And I wish I had audio to go along with this because it would be audio cut of the day. But this is just a story that's in the L.A. Times this morning. And it made me spit Diet Coke out of my nose because I laughed so hard, Sue. So <laughs> I used to go to um, I used to go to California probably six to eight times a year doing movie stuff oh, sure. to Hollywood when I was doing reviews and, and working with Channel 4. So I'd go out there to Beverly Hills. And there was this little place right down from the Beverly Hills Four Seasons, which, by the way, is one of the most spectacular hotels oh, that you'll ever it. stay in in your life, especially when you're not paying for it and a movie studio oh. is paying for your rooms. But there's a I would go because, you know, my Diet Coke addiction, right? Mm. So if you buy, and what's funny about this is like when, when I would get sent on these things, you usually have $125 per diem. So I could use that for food and beverage at the hotel, right? But the, the Diet Cokes at the Four Seasons are literally like eight bucks and there's no refills. So I would walk down to Ralph's Grocery Store. It's a very popular <laughs> chain. And I would get my two 12-packs of Diet Coke okay. and maybe some snacks. And I had like a three-block walk back to the uh, to the Four Seasons. Well, I bring this up because one of the last times, my, my trips to L.A. go back way to like 2009, 2010, and they wrapped up in 2019. But I remember right around 2017, 2018, going to Ralph's, and uh, they, they wanted, I didn't have a bag, and they were looking for my bag that I was going to bring in there. And then I had to buy a plastic bag. Oh, my god! Because, gosh. you know, they, they banned plastic bags, right? So if you wanted a bag, well, you'd have to pay for it. So... This leads us to today's story. I love this so much. L.A. Times from this morning. It was a decade ago when California became the first state in the nation to virtue signal, <clears throat> I'm sorry, to ban <laughs> single-use plastic bags, ushering in a wave of anti-plastic legislation from coast to coast. Remember paper straws and all that crap, oh, too. Yeah. But in the years after California seemingly kicked its plastic grocery sack habit, Material recovery facilities and environmental activists noticed a peculiar trend. Plastic bag waste by weight was increasing oh my to unprecedented gosh. levels. Oh, yeah. According to a report from this group called CalPerg, 157,385 tons of plastic bag waste was discarded in, Cal- discarded, I'm sorry, discarded in California the year the law was passed. Okay? 157,000, right? Okay. By 2022... The tonnage had skyrocketed to 231,072. It was a 47% jump. Even the LA Times had to be honest about this. They said even accounting for an increase in population, the number rose from 4 tons per 1,000 to 5 point, almost 6 tons per 1,000 people in 2002. Now, here's what happened. Remember I told you they wanted to charge me for the ban? For the bag. So they, they, they charge you a dime. Yeah, I'll buy the stupid bag because I had to carry stuff back to the hotel. I wanted a bag. So the bags that you bought were thicker, heavier weight plastic. Oh, no. And Mark Murray, who's the director of Californians Against Waste, an environmental virtue signaling organization, said it was a conscious decision to create a pathway for a type of reusable bag that barely existed. It was just emerging in the marketplace, but it happened to be made by a couple of California companies, which the manufacturers claimed they can certify as being reusable. So they go at the California company because they're like, oh, they're on our side. We want to get rid of plastic waste. We're doing everything we can here. And the companies, the two companies, get the uh, state of California to buy in but they weren't made of very much recyclable material. They lied about this. So they said, okay, we're fine um, because they they thought that they were on board. They're known as bags that are made from HDPE, which is a thicker and heavier plastic than the LDPE plastic bags. Both materials can be recycled, apparently, but 
in this particular case, the thicker bags that met the definition of reusable are not being reused, and they don't look like reusable bags. So they, that was the one thing that they wanted you to do is bring your own bag in, right? right. And that's what right. all the you know virtue signalers love to do. So now they're talking about correcting the error, error by passing a law that closes the loophole and bans those thick plastic bags offered at the checkout line. So they're going to make it harder for everyone else and you're either going to have to have a paper bag or your own bag, even though you've been able to buy bags for 10 cents. And this even happens um, in convenience stores and places like that. I think they have this in Las Vegas as well. When I go to Las Vegas, I think that they, you know, you have to have your own bag. It's just so well, funny. How did that increase the number of, of uh, so they were too thick and they can't because recycle people, them? Because here, people, here's the deal. People still wanted the stupid bags. Mm-hmm. So they were saying, give me the bags, right? Well, they were the thicker material and they're not completely recyclable. So then they have, I don't know how they compute some of these things, but I'm sorry. That's just funny. It is. And, you know, the thing that I always mention with California is this stuff spreads like COVID across the country because you have do-gooders here in St. Louis on whether it's the county council or the city council. They hear ideas like this. They've tried it here. Oh, let's ban plastic bags. They don't focus on the things that people really need, you know, like reducing crime and allowing people to call 911 and have a cop show up at your home in less than a half an hour. That's not important. But plastic bags and paper straws and stuff like that, that's their priority. Oh, yeah, and wearing masks. Sue, I'm a uh, relatively big sports fan and a big baseball fan, and I like to talk baseball for many years. You know, I was on the uh, Voice of the Cardinals, the home of the Cardinals, KMOX, and talk baseball all the time with John Rooney and Danny Mack and you know, Tom Ackerman, et cetera. We didn't talk about baseball last year, did we? Not after, really. After about May. It, it just didn't seem to be the thing to do. We're going to give it another shot, Sue. This year we're going to go down to Jupiter, Florida, <laughs> see if we can start out the year in a positive fashion. Our own Matt Pauley from the Cardinals Radio Network in KMOX is down there because pitchers and catchers, well, some of them are already there, Pauley, right? But they report tomorrow. Uh, pitchers and catchers reported today. Tomorrow's Good. the first uh, workout for them. And then full squad uh, report date is coming up on Sunday. Awesome. All right. So what what's the vibe? What are you feeling? What are we looking at here? Because obviously there were some changes on the offseason. The Cardinals and the management and the office, the you know the front office, they know what they're up against. So I guess we have to start with a lot of optimism, Matt. Yeah, I mean, every team is optimistic at this point in time, and the Cardinals were just this optimistic last year at this time, and obviously that didn't work out well. So everything you say kind of take with a grain of salt. I'll say this. So what was interesting today, talking about setting a tone, Sonny Gray threw a bullpen session today to Wilson Contreras, and even though today was not an official workout day, that will happen today, they went out there, and it was really interesting because Sonny was very vocal during this uh, during this bullpen session. It was just kind of a normal session. He threw 15, 20 pitches, but on every pitch, he's talking through things. He's saying what the situation is. He's trying to kind of uh, talk with Contreras, and Contreras is sending that energy right back to him. It was something you rarely see in a bullpen session, and Sonny said that's just kind of the way he does things. That's really important uh, for him to be able to visualize things, and you visualize things by talking through them. So that's what he did. So that's kind of, that is the tone setter for uh, for this year's spring training. So when you talk, maybe paint the picture a little bit. When you're talking about the bullpen sessions, we, we hear about that all the time. How does that exactly work? I mean, are they, is Contreras sitting there like calling a pitch like it would be in a real game? 
So today, because it's so early, Sonny only threw fastballs. But in terms okay. of location, they were talking it. So at one point, uh, Sonny said, okay, it's an OO count, right-hander. We're going to get it in on the hands and make him, make him swing and miss. So that's what he was kind of calling for from the mound. And Contreras was, was going along with it. Generally, these sessions are very mundane, not a lot of energy or excitement to them. It's just kind of pitchers going through their work, just getting their pitches in. But today with Sonny, it was a little bit different. Well, you know, you're looking, you're going to look for stories like that and positivity and reasons to be optimistic. But do you think uh, in any way, shape or form, there's one more move in the Cardinals in the offseason or not? Uh, I think it's less than 50-50. I would put there's still so many guys out there. That's the thing. At some point, if the market comes back to the team, uh, they maybe they do something. Obviously, a lot of people have talked about Jordan Montgomery. If there's just nothing out there for him and he decides he wants to take a one- or two-year deal with a high value, maybe the Cardinals talk to him about it. But I think the possibility of that happening is less than 50%. All right, so what are you looking for most uh, here in the next few weeks before we get to an actual game, I guess? Or, you know, the, the whole process is just getting ready for the regular season so the games will be a part of this as well as Ali Mormal starts to you know insert some different pieces into the lineup what are your pieces that you're most curious about right now in 2024 compared to last year yeah, I think the biggest storyline for me right now is can Mason win break camp as the everyday shortstop? So much of what this team wants to do is dependent on him being the starting shortstop. If he starts the season at Memphis, all of a sudden the guy that you want to be your starting center fielder is your starting shortstop and you don't have a backup shortstop. And the idea of having a really steady lineup on an everyday basis just gets completely thrown out the window. So it's it's kind of funny how one guy in Mason Wynn can impact so many other positions. It'll impact the outfield. It'll impact what you do at, at second base. There's a lot going on. So whether or not Mason Wynn can come in and win the everyday shortstop job, I to me, that is uh, one of the biggest stories. And then obviously the starting pitching. I don't know what we'll learn about starting pitching, though, here in spring. Obviously what we saw today from Sonny Gray was cool, but uh, I you know, they're going to do fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's just something that's really hard to really monitor during spring. So Kusamano told me on Friday, and I don't remember the exact um, figure, but he said Jordan Walker's just really bulked up in the offseason. Yeah, I saw him walk into the clubhouse today. He was walking in just as we were walking out, and he looks like a, a different guy, and that's really good. But he doesn't look – I wouldn't say he looks bulky. That's a really important thing as well uh, for baseball players. He just looks – he looks like more of an adult, for lack of a better huh. term, and he's he's you know that's good for him. He he located down here to Jupiter, and he's been working out for quite some time here. All right, Matt, thank you so much. We'll check in from time to time. We're going to hope for some positivity and hopefully more conversations about Cardinals baseball in 2024. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic I, about that. I am too. Thanks for having me. Right. Anytime, I'm here for you. Take care. Uh, Matt's probably heard this. I wanted to play this, um, and I'll do it a little outside of audio cut of the day. We love Wayno, right? Who doesn't love Wayno? Right. Right. I don't like his singing as much, but yeah. you know, <laughs> right. I'll give him a leeway. But you know, he's he's jumping on some national broadcasts yes, and is. good for him. So he was asked about that on MLB Network and I thought this was interesting. Hey, what what did you like the most about calling the games? My favorite thing about baseball in general, favorite thing in all of sports, Harold, is the is the pitcher versus the batter. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. That competition is just the coolest thing in all of sports. I think it's just mano y mano. Who's better? I got this. You got that. I know what you're trying to accomplish. You know what I'm trying to accomplish. Who can win? And um, and I just love that. I, and I love the little 
the little mindset that the pitcher's going through and, and trying to figure out what the hitter's thinking and that little, you know, there's a little chess match going on. That's my favorite thing. I love talking about that thing. And I love talking sequencing and why the pitcher threw what he did or what he was thinking or what maybe, maybe he should have done something different if I was pitching, but um, you know, I love that kind of stuff. All right. He's going to be great to listen to. This he is. He just beyond. is. Just the, you can tell, and this is why there was instant, you know, employment for Adam Wainwright after he retired because he's good at it and he's just real. You can just hear exactly. it. He keeps it real. He's, he's himself, which I love that. Just on the sports front, uh, I was going to maybe use this for partial audio cut of the day, but we'll just kind of wind it in with Wainwright. I love this. This is, um, McCall Hardman, who scored the winning touchdown for the Chiefs. He was on Jimmy Kimmel last night, and this was a great conversation. What was the name of that play that that, um, that won the game? It was um, Chill Wright Stack, F. Shuttle, Tom and Jerry Wright. You guys rem- are able to remember all of that? Good yeah. grief. But as a receiver, you know, we just, all I hear was just Tom and Jerry. I'm, yeah. I'm, and I know, I know the play. Are you Tom or Jerry? See, Pat didn't never tell me which one he was. Uh, um, I kind of I play off him. So I, I might be Jerry. You might be Jerry. Might be Jerry. So do you, are you the first option on, on that? I am the first option. You yeah. are. Who was the second option on that? The running back. Okay. Was he bummed that he wasn't the option? I don't know. He was, I don't know if Nick Bosa just blew the play up in the backfield. Uh-huh. And because I'm wondering, like, because usually I go to the running back. I'm not going to lie, because you know, he'll loop around. But um, when he threw me the ball, I'm like, yes. So Nick really did you. <laughs> Nick Bosa did you a solid, huh? He did me a great. Thank you, <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Nick Bosa from the 49ers, who is one of the best players in football, but may have made a bit of a tactical error there on the last uh, play. But I love that it's Tom and Jerry. And McCall Hartman didn't even know if he was Tom <laughs> or Jerry. He said, Pat didn't tell me that. We, uh, anything adorable. that gives me an excuse to put in the Tom and Jerry theme, I roll with it. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. All right, well, the, the Senate passed the Ukraine and Israeli funding bill today. It is outrageously high, and I am opposed to it. Both senators from Missouri voted against it. Now they sent it to the House. Here's Rand Paul talking about it. What we have here is a failure of the elites of Washington. On both sides of the aisle. I think he's absolutely right about that. Here's Chip yeah. Roy from Texas, and I think this was a, he gave a, a more substantive answer, if you will, but Harris Faulkner was interviewing him. Well, first of all, I think I might submit a bill pretty soon that will rename Texas to Ukraine. Then maybe this administration oh and even even senators will focus on now securing the border it of the United might take States. That. Well, you know, it might take that, but here's Congressman Roy. He is not happy with this bill. I've never seen the nursing home known as the United States Senate work harder than when it comes to spending the American people's money for foreign wars. That's what's going on here. And by the way, is there anything more cynical than having Republicans sitting around defending their votes to send $60 billion to Ukraine than saying that will help our defense industrial base, that that will help American businesses? Since when do we have economic development that is being driven by by funding war overseas? That's what's happening in the U.S. Senate. Because anybody that's sane and sees what's happening at our southern border would know that you cannot fund foreign wars while our border is wide open and exposed to criminals and lawlessness and terrorists that are coming across the border. Look, the the disconnect that these politicians have, and I mentioned this earlier, Senator Mitt Romney today called this the most important vote we will ever take. He's nuts. What are you talking about? He said that letting Ukraine fall would open the door for Russia to ultimately invade a NATO ally and send a signal to China that the U.S. wouldn't stand up against a takeover of Taiwan. Look, there are implications, big geopolitical implications for this. 
this. And I understand that. But, you know, uh, Ukraine's kind of fallen already. Yeah, it has. I think so. We're throwing money down the toilet. I, I don't know how they can continue to try to justify this. But again, our two senators from Missouri, well, they voted no. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 